0: Welcome to the Living Jewishly Podcast. I'm Dr. Elliot Nalleman. And I'm Rabbi Yossi Saperman. We talk about Judaism, and we talk about living, and we talk about everything in between. Judaism is not nearly as boring as I thought it was, now that I talk to Elliot regularly. We're not selling you on Judaism, we're not selling you on living, we're just trying to get you inside of our brains, the way we think about stuff.
1: By getting you into our Jewish brain, you'll argue a lot, you'll disagree, you'll love, you'll eat... You'll have a really good time you'll learn a lot of things and you know what you might actually find that all those three thousand years have been worth it
0: yeah see in order to forgive somebody do they have to apologize to you no, you can just let it go sometimes sometimes
1: uh almost always actually oh yeah
0: you're a very good guy
1: no I'm not good <laughs> I've learned that uh, i don't I have a short life and I You you waste way too much time trying to get apologies. And even when you get them, they're not sincere. And if you have to force it, it feels fake. Let it go. And you always feel better eventually. And you get them out of your head. Oh, totally. Yeah. Because I can't get them out of my head is not a good way. In order to move on from a sin, do you have to change yourself? Or does the other person have to change their attitude towards you?
0: I mean something I've done to somebody else? No, someone hurt you. okay. Do you have to change in order to let that person go? I think so. Because if your expectation is that the outside world is going to conform to you, it won't. So if the usual thing is, yeah, I'll move on as soon as they get down on their knees and say how horrible they were, and that's not going to happen. So I have to change me in order to change the situation, which means I have to think to myself, sort of what you were talking about. I can't control anyone in this world but me, which is really the key thing. And that's, in a way, the core of what religion teaches. I can't control anything but me, so if we're going to move this situation forward, I have to be a different me. I have to be into a different place. It's interesting that when Maimonides talks about repentance, one of the things he talks about in terms of becoming a different person is changing your name, changing your location. And I think of these metaphorically. Like Changing your name is like, I'm a new person now. I changed my identity. I'm not that guy who is like, flying off the handle, getting angry when you did stuff to me. I'm a new guy now. So I definitely think it's changing yourself because making your life contingent on the other person's changes is a recipe for tragedy. So isn't it ironic that the person that hurts you
1: most, if you actually forgive them, they've caused you to change theoretically for the better. It's extraordinary.
0: They've done me a favor, so to speak.
1: So to speak, had that not happened, had they not been the... The, the creator of misery, right? So it's almost, if in, a, in some weird way, we should be thanking them. Hello, you really made a difference in my life. That is part of the mental exercise I go through. If it wasn't for you being so ridiculously douchey, I would have never had this opportunity. And by the way, that's how you deal with your parental stuff. If it wasn't for the fact that you were who you were, I wouldn't be who I am for good or for bad. And With parents, it's much more present because they're both the source of a lot of uh,
0: who you are. So I just want to say, it's a really cool idea that I learned years ago from an Israeli thinker named Mordechai Rotenberg. He's got this wonderful phrase, I hope to have a good past. And what's cool about I hope to have a good past is usually when terrible stuff happens to you, you sort of think of it like this black hole, like I just gotta move on, it's horrible. I don't wanna think about it, I can't do anything with it, I'm just moving on. Like bad relationship, bad friendship. I hope to have a good past is you relook at it, and it actually becomes a good thing for you. So it's you know what? If I hadn't gone through that, I'm not the person I am now. If I hadn't gone through that, I wouldn't have learned the things I needed to learn. So at the time when it happens is like the worst thing ever, and you you curse your fate. And then it's so ironic. You were talking about this. Like, years later, you're thinking, that person may have just done me the biggest favor I ever had in my life. doesn't let them off the hook, by the way. Right. Because they're responsible for their behavior. Right. But for you, it could actually have been the redemptive moment. Like, the worst thing that ever happened to you might be the redemptive moment. So I had a therapist who taught me two brilliant things. The worst thing that ever happened to you
1: is probably the best thing that ever happened to you. And the only thing you should regret are the things you haven't done, which is a big, big statement. It needs a lot of unpacking, but it was so important to me because if you can put regret aside and you can put anger aside, well, guess what? You start coming into focus. Go ahead. Your turn. I,
0: I like what you said about the things not done because when people talk about Rosh Hashanah Yom Kippur, they often look backwards. It's like, oh, I'm repenting. The thing I did, the mistake I made... And I always think it's about looking forwards. Like it's getting you in touch with the fact that you said before, who will live, who will die? Short time, end point, unknown, get to it, right? I think it's all about urgency. It's about the idea of time passing. You don't know how much time you have. We're really lazy about that. You know, it's, it's interesting. If you t- talk about Russia or you teach it to young people, it's, this is a hard one to get across. When you're 21, you're like, you're going to live forever. Right you talk to somebody who's 60, they it's like, yeah, I know, I can feel it. But there's a see problem though.
1: At 60, you start to watch people burdened with their life's choices, and they've never learned how to put them aside. You 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 watch people who whose kids are getting married, and they have regrets about their relationships, and they just have never. And it and it keeps growing yeah. and growing like sacks of potatoes on your back. You watch people die, weighed down by their stuff, and you just say to them. You could have dealt with all of it. You could. I mean, I come across this all the time in the work I do. I just wonder, we talked before about expanding the model of prayer, the concept of prayer. We talked about expanding the meaningfulness of synagogue. How do we expand the meaningfulness of the high holidays? So it's forward-looking, backwards-looking, and how do we extract from it? Not just the confession of our own personal sins, but also
0: the commitment that most people really want to make. You have to effect a change in consciousness in people that they begin to look at life at any point in their life as possibility. There's this sort of retirement mentality that I see among my peers, because I turned 60 this year. You're old man. I'm Yeah, I'm, I'm an old man, yeah. you know, just like the guy on Neil Young's ranch. But there's this idea like, I've done it already, like whatever, whatever happened in my life that was significant, it's already happened. Like my work thing, marriage, kids, whatever it is, And it's not that they're purposely consciously coasting, but the kind of hunger that many of us had when we were younger, the hunger to figure stuff out, figure out love, figure out wisdom, figure out why I'm here, what I'm doing, it kind of all dissipates and now it's just I want to be comfortable. And I think that is partly what slows people down in terms of thinking about what you were talking about in terms of growth. In terms of saying, I can be different, I can make change. Because if you think it's all behind you, what am I changing
1: for? So it's interesting. For me, the book of life is this weird idea. What inscri- How do you inscribe yourself in the book of life? You choose. You know, you choose left. You, it's like what, Mengele's thumb. You, 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 we don't have that life-death mode. What I think is, there's a book. And in that book, you have to write, at least in your mind, all the things you will no longer be able to do and acknowledge it. Because people hold on to bits and pieces of dreams and they never allow themselves to move on. There should be two columns. Things I will never do. Never read these books. I will never travel. Here's what I can still do. And if people are honest with themselves and not just hold on to tattered little bits of dreams, they can really, like the poem says, they can cover themselves with the cloth of heaven.
0: Here's a story about... You can change it at any time, and the world gets changed. So Alfred Nobel's the inventor of dynamite. And what happened was that Alfred Nobel's brother died, and the obituary in the paper got it wrong, and they, and they made an obituary about Alfred Nobel. So he has the unique, weird experience of waking up in the morning, opening the paper, and seeing his own obituary. So what does it say in the obit? It says, Alfred Nobel, the man who got rich, finding ways to kill more people in the fastest time ever died yesterday. Huh. So he reads this, and he is appalled. Like, this how I'm going to be remembered? Really? That I'm the guy who found a way to kill more people more quickly? And that's the origin of the Nobel Prizes. Because he decided then and there, I'm going to take my whole fortune. He was very wealthy. And I'm going to invest into things that are going to make the world a better place and inspire people to bring peace to the world, and so on. So not everybody gets to read their obit, thank God. But don't tell me that at any moment you can't say, I want to be different.
1: Well, so that's the book of death. The book of death is, what do you want to be remembered for? If you're in memory mode, you're gone. But what do you want to be remembered for? I remember there was a a, a gentleman, actually, I think lived on uh, Shalmar, and he passed away. The obituary written about him was so extraordinary. I wrote to his widow and I said, I want you to know that every year my Bar and bat Mitzvah class will be taught to read this obituary it was that good everything that was said about him you true or not i believe it's all true but the way it was written tells you this was a person who lived his life to the fullest and more than that was remembered that way so the book of life is you inscribe what's possible and the book of death is where you inscribe what you did and if those two are still good keep going thanks for listening to the living jewishly podcast If you enjoyed this episode, please rate, review, and subscribe. It helps more people like you find our show so that we can continue to grow the Living Jewishly community together. You can find us at livingjewishly.org and on YouTube and Instagram. Living Jewishly is living well with everyone.